This is a topic from Jackie on Instagram and Jackie and I were talking about choosing songs in general and specifically the idea of not being overwhelmed with the amount of songs that we are going to choose for the music classroom. And that was tied into a previous podcast episode about uh, how to choose the number of songs to teach each concept or the way it was phrased was how many songs to teach each month. So Jackie and I were talking about this and she said that now figuring out which songs to choose is going to be the next challenge to tackle. So we have an idea of how many songs we might be using in each concept and now we have to figure out the actual songs. And so Jackie said, after looking at content and credibility, do you have suggestions for picking songs? Okay, let's jump in because I have some thoughts, but more importantly, some very big pedagogues have spent some time thinking about this particular topic. And so we can kind of rely on the guidance from the experts. Let's talk about what the experts have to say about choosing repertoire for your elementary music class. There are several resources that talk about some different frameworks that we can use when we select songs. Two of those are Artful, Playful, Mindful by Jane Frazee, and then First We Sing by Susan Brumfield. And obviously there are many more, but let's just look at some of the advice in those two texts. I like this framing of after looking at content and credibility. What we are looking at there is is the song uplifting to every student in the class? And to the best of our knowledge, does this song reflect our values as music educators? So content and credibility is a part of this question. And after looking at content and credibility, let's talk about some suggestions. When we are sourcing songs, these songs could come from a variety of different places. So maybe we ask students to suggest the songs themselves and we say, hey, what do you listen to at home? If you were the music teacher, if you were in charge of music class, what kind of music would be would we be working with? This is something that this month in the planning binder, there is a section of the first lesson that is devoted to a lot of assessment in general, but one of of the assessments that we want to conduct on the first day is student preference. So that's inside the planning binder for the first lesson of the year. So students might suggest songs. Uh, we also might find some songs in a curriculum resource that already exists. Maybe they're suggested by a friend. Maybe we learn them in levels. Whatever the case is, we have choices to make. So having some criteria to help us guide those decisions about what songs to include and what songs to highlight and what songs to skip, that can be really helpful. The other thing is maybe there's a song we love, uh, but there's not just a great place for it in the curriculum that we can think of right now. That's where a song list comes in a lot of handy. And this is something else that's inside the planning binder. Just having a list of songs, uh, mine, my personal song list is called Someday Songs, which is like, I can't off the top of my head, uh, creatively, I can't think of a way to use this song right now, but I want to hang on to it so I don't forget about it. So later after I've had a nap or some coffee or some time has passed or whatever it is, I have this list of someday songs that I can come back to and say, oh, now I know where to plug this in, that kind of thing. So when we source songs, that just means that we have some choices to make. 
The first thing we want to think about is choosing material that is high quality and quality could mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, <laughs> but for us, we might decide that we want it to be musically interesting. So maybe rhythmically it has something really exciting going on or melodically there is something that is really cool happening in the melody or in an implied harmony. High quality is absolutely subjective, but as the musical experts on the campus and as trained musicians, we can use our ears and our perspective to listen to music that is high quality. We also can think about the lyrics being high quality in the sense that maybe they share something about what it's like to be a child. What is it like to be uh, a child today? What was it like to be a child a long time ago? Is there a way where those are connected? Or maybe lyrically, the lyrics are silly. And we like that the lyrics are silly. So thinking about the musicality of the piece and the lyrics of the piece both being a high quality work. Now, when I say quality, I do not mean uh, sophisticated from a Western point of view. Again, because this is subjective, there are uh, lots of different opinions that people might have. And again, you are the one in your classroom making these choices. And let me pause there for a moment. Even if students are giving us their ideas for repertoire, we are still the final say in the classroom as the adult in the room. So it's not that we have all of the control and kids have none. It's not that kids have all of the control and we have none. It is that if students are suggesting songs, we are doing that in partnership with each other. And we are going to think about the quality of the music as one of the first things. Okay, so another thing that we are going to think about is, hey, do we like this song? Because if we are spending, uh, if we choose a song, that means we are going to spend a lot of time with it because as we rotate through different classes, it's likely that at least once a day, we are going to be singing snail snail or whatever it is. <laughs> and so if we dislike this song from the beginning, that is going to be rough for us. We're going to have a hard time uh, showing up to the classroom in a joyful way to sing snail snail again if we hated it to begin with, right? So since we're going to be spending so much time with this material, we're going to want to choose songs that we like. And I bring that up because if a song strikes you as cheesy, there might be a very good reason. Or if a melody feels really um, unnatural, to you and, and you feel like that's a legitimate reason to keep it out of your repertoire. Even if everybody else you know is doing that song, you have permission to say, no, thanks. I will put that with a question mark next to it because maybe there's something about this song that I just don't get. I don't get the draw to it. Now, there's a flip side of that, so I just want to make sure that I present a contrary point of view that sometimes I have thought that a song is so cheesy and then I present it to my students and my students love it and their joy about that song that I thought was cheesy all of a sudden that joy is contagious and now I love this song I think it's the funniest thing ever so our minds can 
change. Another thing is if something about the song feels unnatural to you in terms of melodic content or rhythmic content or the form or something like that, it's possible that we are lacking the context to understand that song from a musical perspective. So uh, for example, if we are doing a song that is a traditional children's folk song from Japan and we notice that there is no repetition in the form of this song and we say to ourselves oh this is not high quality because it has too much new material and not enough repetition okay that's an example of where we are just lacking some knowledge about the traditional structures for music outside of our own musical background. So I just want to make sure that I'm presenting the flip side of the coin when we talk about choosing material that we like. Next, let's choose material that meets our curriculum goals. Because if there's a song that's really high quality and it's something that we know we would love to spend a lot of time with, the next question is how can this move students forward in their musical development? Now, not every song needs to have a notational literacy tie-in. Oftentimes they will because expanding musical vocabulary and expanding musical experiences in a conscious way, that's one of the things that is going to move our students forward in their musical progression, in their musical development. But there are also songs that we might choose just because they're fun. Full stop. We also might choose songs because they are really, really scary or beautiful or uh, exciting, right? There are curricular tie-ins that are not directly tied to notational literacy, and that's okay. Sometimes it is just a fun song, and that is the full stop. Let me kind of camp out here, and we'll talk about notational literacy as it applies to selecting repertoire. We're going to choose repertoire that meets our curriculum goals, but in the same way that in first grade, students don't only hear the kinds of stories that they could write in uh, orthographic language. They hear stories with vocabulary and with syntax and with character development and with plot points, with all of these things that they would not necessarily be able to do at their current literacy level if they were to be asked to visually read it or write it down. Just because you cannot read something or write it in that particular language, that doesn't mean that you can't hear it and understand it. And so this is a conversation about uh, notational literacy versus literacy. And this is not an original thought from me. Um, Dr. Vanessa Bond is the first person I heard this distinction from. Uh, so just because students do not necessarily have a direct notational literacy tie-in, that doesn't mean that the song doesn't serve a broader curriculum goal. Now, let's talk about expanding literacy with one avenue, which is notational literacy because, and this is a separate conversation for a separate time, but the notation is not the goal. Understanding is the goal and being able to replicate and communicate to peers is the goal. So when I talk about notational literacy, it is not because that's the most important thing, but it is because my personal belief is that it is one pathway that is valuable to literacy.
So let's talk about that. So when we are choosing songs with the idea of expanding musical vocabulary by recognizing specific uh, rhythmic and melodic patterns, we're going to make sure that that target element is musically and lyrically obvious. So we're going to look for material that uses that target rhythm or melody on um, a strong beat or something that is surrounded by known materials so that that new element is the only new element introduced in that subphrase or in that phrase or perhaps in that larger song. Let's look at an example of that. Let's take the song Apple Tree, and maybe we'll start by students just singing the song and playing the game that at this point they know very, very well. So they will sing, Apple tree, apple tree, will your apples fall on me? I won't cry and I won't shout if your apples knock me out. So let's imagine that we are using this song to expand conscious vocabulary of the tonic pitch, conscious understanding of the tonic pitch, what we call do in this classroom. So let's use this song after we have conscious knowledge of a minor third interval, what we call so and me, and then a step above so, what we call la. So students sing and play the game and we say, ah, hey, guess what? This song has a musical hint in it. It has a part of the song where the apple tree falls to the ground. Let's listen for that, where the melody gives us a hint that the apple has fallen down. So students are going to pat the steady beat and listen to you sing on a neutral syllable. Ah, so there at the end, that is the only low note that we have in the song, the only low pitch that we have in the song compared to all of the other pitches, which might be higher on the apple tree. And then at the very end, that apple falls down. Great. Since that is the only tonic pitch in the song, that makes it a great candidate. That makes this song a great candidate for pointing out the curriculum goal of understanding tonic or do in this class. And analyzing a song for classroom use, that could definitely be its own episode. And this idea of choosing repertoire where the target new element is lyrically and melodically and metrically obvious. That could definitely be its own uh, conversation. But for the purposes of this conversation here, we are talking about just choosing material that meets our curriculum goals. Okay, let's talk about tessitura as well, because that's going to be a part of this, uh, this goal setting, this curriculum goal conversation. What we decide to use for tessitura is going to be different depending on our students' age and their vocal development and their physical development and then their musical backgrounds as well. And by the way, when I say tessitura, that is, of course, very different from the range of a song. The tessitura, if this is not a familiar term to you, that's no problem at all. The tessitura is like where the song lives mostly. It's like where the house is in the song. And then we might branch out to some pitches below the house in the basement, or we might go up to the attic. But the tessitura is the main living level. 
So in kindergarten, that is somewhere around a fourth, somewhere around D4 to G4. That will be the tessitura that we are looking for, likely, in most of our songs. And like I said, it will depend on your student's age and their uh, own musical backgrounds. But choosing songs with an appropriate tessitura is going to make a really big difference for how students will actualize the song. How will they be set up to sing it tunefully? Another thing that impacts that is to look at the intervallic relationships in the song and just make sure that it's something that you can sing tunefully yourself. And that is a good indication that your students will have an easier time singing it tunefully as well. Okay, so all of that to say, we are going to choose repertoire that moves us towards our curriculum goals. The last thing is we can get creative with this song. And this is my favorite part to think about. So we can look through each song and then decide how it will actually live in the classroom. What is the shape it's actually going to take? So some questions about that is, you know, how could you teach the song? Does the song tie into any programs? Where can students add their own ideas to the song. So uh, where can students improvise? Where could they arrange? Where could they compose a B section? Something else is how does this song, we, you know, we've talked about vocally, how will it live in a child's voice? But another question is how does the rhythm live in our hands so that maybe we can transfer it to uh, unpitched percussion? How does the pitch lay out on a barred instrument? So how could this song be applied to an instrumental context? How would it transfer to an instrumental context? Is there anything in the text, like any text painting that we could really emphasize with movement or with, uh, you know, an instrumental color part or anything like that? Is there a story or an emotion that we could act out? Is there anything kind of magical happening in the song? Um, an example that comes to mind with this is Bow Wow Wow, which is a very simple song, but there's a lot in there because we're gonna start out with an onomatopoeia. Ooh, interesting, bow wow wow, whose dog are thou, or art thou? But what if we walked up and something said oink, oink, oink? Well, the song probably wouldn't be about a dog, would it? And that's another thing to point out. This takes place in a world where a dog can talk back to us and a dog can say who its owner is. Ah, very interesting. Something else that strikes me about this song is that we seem to believe that the dog is telling the truth. Hmm, well, why is the dog away from its owner? Is it running away? Is it lost? What's happening? What's the story there? So there's a lot of creative potential in something very, um, well, <laughs> in something very elemental, right? There's a lot of creativity in these tiny folk songs. They are gems of creative springboards, both for us and for our students when we give them the opportunity to actualize their creative ideas based off of these 16 beats, the world inside these 16 beats. It's very exciting. Okay, We've talked about a couple things to keep in mind when we are choosing repertoire, when we are making decisions about all of the repertoire options that are out there in the world. It is a big world of song material. Jackie started us off with thinking about content and credibility. We also talked about thinking through the quality of the lyrics and the musical um, content of the song itself. We talked about choosing material that we like, and we talked about the flip side of that argument as well.
And then we talked about some things to think about when we're uh, choosing material to meet our curriculum goals, including things like making the target, the, the main point of the song the, from a uh, curriculum perspective, making that main point very obvious in the song, and then thinking about how students will be able to produce the song with their own voices. And then we talked about, just very briefly, some ideas for using the song creatively because we want to make sure that it is a creatively fulfilling musical experience for both us and our students. The last piece of this conversation that isn't necessarily in Jackie's question is about where to look for songs. My encouragement, this is a personal opinion, but my encouragement would be to choose websites that list sources for the songs as opposed to uh, just the notation of the song with the lyrics with the exception of if the uh, resource you're using is its own primary source so for example we talked about El Patio de Mi Casa that is a, a primary source because the collector of the songs is using songs from her childhood and from uh, people she knows in Mexico who used it in their childhood and so she's you know using interviews and first-hand accounts for that so El Patio de Mi Casa does not need to show where she she sourced those songs because they are from her own childhood, right? And I'm not suggesting that if you find a song online that doesn't have a source listed, I'm not suggesting that you are, you know, quote, not allowed, in quote, to use that song. It just might mean that that is your springboard for more research about the song's background. So that's just something to keep in mind. It's very exciting to learn from places that list the source because then that's our gateway, our pathway to more song research, which is very exciting. This month in the planning binder, the upload schedule is for repertoire. So we've had a new set of concepts and songs lists and then a new anthology and some new uh, mp3s to use in the classroom and all sorts of things like that so this idea of thinking through what songs to choose and why we are choosing them has been on my mind a lot in the past month as i've been putting together these song lists this search the repertoire hunt is just incredibly uh, fun for me, I really, really enjoy thinking about all of the possibilities and all of the student experiences that live, again, the world of this 16-beat song, you know, or 8 beats or 32 beats or whatever it is. I think this is a really, really fun project. And right now, when this episode comes out, you know, somewhere in July, this, for many people, is a convenient time just to make a really quick list of songs that you know you love. And maybe that's where you add in your someday songs as well, like a song that you really like and you want to use in the classroom in some capacity, but you're going to give yourself a little bit of time to think about where it could live. All right. The songs that we choose are really, really important because they create the musical context in the classroom. They are the springboard for creativity, and that is the context that we are going to use to help students develop as people and as musicians. Did you know that you can assess this podcast? 
If you enjoy listening, if you find it valuable, if you find it interesting, if you think that it is a positive addition to your day, you can show that with quantitative data and with qualitative data. If you rate this podcast five stars on your podcast player, that is quantitative data that show your assessment. If you have anything to add that those quantitative data do not show, you can add qualitative data by writing out a podcast review. Your podcast player takes your assessment scores very, very seriously. And your podcast player algorithm uses your assessment scores to decide if they are going to push Elemental Conversations, this show, to other music teachers in our industry, or if it's going to stay on the back burner of your podcast player. So if you could take the time to assess this podcast, that would mean the world to me. And hopefully it means that more people will be invited to take part in some of these elemental conversations.